Thank you so much, Pastor White, for letting me preach in the pulpit and letting our travel team be here. I hope them singing was a blessing to you. I've heard each and every one of those songs 40 or 50 or 60 times, and I still am, I still am blessed every time I hear them, especially those ones at the end. Matter of fact, when we first started traveling, I said, uh, that song arise, move that to the last song, because I'm getting ready to get up and preach when you're done with that one, and so I'll be ready to roll. But uh, I like those, uh, like those songs, encourage me in my faith. James chapter 1. As you get in there, we'll begin reading in verse 13. And I'll tell you what, we'll actually, we'll read verse 12, 13, 14, and 15, okay? 12, 13, 14, and 15 is what we're going to read in James chapter 1. And and I hope this will be an encouragement to you tonight, and I hope it will be maybe a little bit of a challenge for you as we begin to look at uh, some things in our life and some, some ways that we interact with the world and how it affects us and why. And I hope it will be a challenge to you tonight. Let's begin in James chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says this, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Verse 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The Bible says after that, do not err, my beloved brethren. Let's pray tonight and we'll jump right in. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you love us, that you made a way that we could be reconciled to you. Father, the Bible says that before we were saved, we were as your enemies. And Father, you sent your son to take the payment for our sins. Lord, as we open your word tonight, I, I trust, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged, help us to be challenged. Father, if there needs to be lifting up and encouragement, Father, may your Holy Spirit do that. If there needs to be rebuke, Lord, we pray that, that you would do that. Not, Lord, with the purpose of living just a comfortable Christian life and things are easy, but Father, with the goal, with the end in mind, that as we leave here, we're more like you. We're more like what you would want for us to be. And Lord, we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of James is, uh, I mentioned this morning, I referenced it in this morning's message. And uh, I mentioned it's one of my favorite books. You see, the book of James is uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's the very practical, here's some truths, here's how you should live of the New Testament. And, uh, and James here is funny because James, he, he, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, he is talking to them about being careful in regards to temptation. And he, and he gives them some, some real interesting uh, insight here. And tonight we're going to look at, if you're, a, if you're a note taker and you like to take notes, I've titled tonight's message, Breaking the Cycle of Sin. Breaking the Cycle of Sin. And uh, oftentimes, I, as I was working with young people, I have worked with young people for about the last, oh, 13 or 14 years. 
Uh, I was a youth pastor for almost 10 years in Virginia before I moved up to Kobiak. And then even before I was in Virginia, I was working with a youth group in, uh, in Wisconsin. And so uh, I've been working with youth, uh, with youth, with young people for the, all of my adult life. And often what I would see is a young person who loved the Lord. They really did. They really wanted to do right. They really wanted, but yet they just kept getting hung up in this cycle of sin. And they didn't want to be. And if you asked them, they would rather not. And they would go to camp and they would make a decision. And they would come to church and they would make a decision. But when the rubber met the road, when things got hard, they just found it tough to break out of that cycle of sin. And James talks about this cycle of sin. First, I want us to get a good grasp of what we're looking at. My first point is the cycle that ensnares us. The cycle that ensnares us. Imagine as we talk about this, uh, if you've ever seen a tornado or you've seen the video maybe of a tornado, you'll see a tornado uh, spinning and the winds are such strong force that things really begin to get sucked in. And if we're not careful, temptation can be like a tornado that sucks us in. And once we get sucked in by temptation, it has a, a dangerous and devastating way of, of keeping us in there. Have you ever been, uh, anybody really enjoy the water? You just really love the water? That's me. I love the water. Matter of fact, uh, 13 or so years ago when my wife and I went on our honeymoon, I tried something for the first time that absolutely hooked me. I tried scuba diving. Anybody ever been scuba diving? I love scuba diving. Matter of fact, so much so that we went and a few years later, I became certified so that I could scuba dive. And I love to scuba dive. I love the water. And it started when I was a, a, a young man, a, just, a, just a boy really. My aunt had a pool. And I had a couple cousins and we would spend hours in the summertime in that pool. And how many of you ever did a, you ever did the whirlpool thing, right? Y'all march around the pool over and over and over again until you're beginning to feel sick. <laughs> but then what, what do you do when you get it really going good? You try to go the other way and it's almost impossible to go against the whirlpool, right? It's almost impossible to go against the tide that you've created. And sin has a way of doing the same thing. We get trapped in this cycle and it's really challenging to get out of it. So let's look at what James says is the cycle of sin. Let's begin in verse 14. It says this, but every man is tempted. So we're tempted when we're drawn away of his own lust and, and enticed. You know, the first aspect of temptation is there's always a suggestion. The devil never begins to tempt people by showing them the grave consequences of their sin, right? Even if you look all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, uh, I think it's verse 16. Uh, if you look in Genesis chapter 3, you see what, is, what does the devil do to entice Eve? He doesn't say, you can do this and there's nothing God can do about it, man. He didn't say, Eve, you've got a free will. You can do whatever you want. He begins by just a suggestion. Hey, did Eve, hey, did, did God say you, you couldn't eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? And there's just, this, there's just this suggestion of sin. And that's how sin often starts. James says here when we're, when we're drawn away, 
there's this concept of this little bit of pulling away, a suggestion to move in a different direction. We, um, I, I've always been a little bit mischievous. And I enjoy just a good, a good joke. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy giving people a hard time sometimes. And, and uh, we had a young lady who was very gullible. We had a young lady convinced that if a stop sign had a white band all the way around it, it wasn't required. It was just a suggestion. <laughs> and not only did she begin to believe us to the point where I think she would probably roll stop signs, but she began to, to pass out this gospel into her own mission field. She began telling other people that if a stop sign has a white board around it, it's not required, it's suggested. And I began to think through the ramifications of that as a, I was only maybe 17 or 18. I thought, maybe that wasn't that good of an idea. <laughs> She's liable to blow through a stop sign and that could be a cause and act. So we had to tell her, listen, we were just joking. We were just, we were just joking. We, we told her it was suggested, not required. You know, sometimes when we're drawn away and enticed, it's because of just a little suggestion, Right? Well, what would happen if you did that? Well, would it be that big of a deal? James talks about a suggestion, but then a desire when he is drawn away of his own lust. You know what that means? It means a, a, a craving for, a desire. Down south, we might say a hankering for. Right? You got a hankering for some. I got a hankering for some sweet tea right now. But we might, it's something that you, you just really want. You just got to, just got to taste for it. Any, uh, any, anybody play uh, a, uh, athletics? Anybody play, ath uh, play sports in here? Any athletes? Yeah, I, uh, I grew up, we didn't watch a lot of sports, but we played a lot of sports. Matter of fact, I played multiple sports every year, two or three, four sports sometimes over the course of a year. And I loved sports. And one thing that I became all too familiar with was when I got up in high school and began playing football, we started these practices in the middle of summer. Actually, we started in January lifting weights and running and doing all those things. But we started actual two, three-a-day practices in July, June and July. Do you know what Virginia's like in July? It's almost unbearable. And so we would, we would practice and we would be fully equipped. We would have cleats on and we would have, we would have pants on and they all had pads in them. And we would have shoulder pads on and you ha your shoulder pads would rub you raw if you didn't have a shirt on. So you're wearing sometimes multiple layers in the helmet and you are, you are just sweating profusely. And I can remember what it was like to be at the very end of one of our, we would have maybe 45 minute or an hour sessions and then we would stop and take maybe an eight or 10, 15 minute break. And I can remember being at the end of that break and or at the end of that session and just craving water. Just feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to make it another step. I can't even swallow. <laughs> and, and I just had that, that craving. Lust is that way. When we feed into lust, it becomes an insatiable appetite. You can never have enough of it. I've heard somebody say, sin will take you farther than you ever want to go and keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay. So you see that first there's just this suggestion. There's, it begins to be a drawing away. And it has to do with our lust. So there's a suggestion. There's a desire. And then there begins to be an intent. You intend to do it. So it says, 
Uh, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, tempted. That word uh, enticed means to be, to be tempted into doing it. And then it says, when lust hath conceived. So you have a suggestion, you have a desire, you have an intent. Your mind begins to uh, move in that direction. I think I want to do that. You begin to play out mentally how that would work. There's an intent. And then there's an action. When lust hath Conceive the actual, the actual action of sin. Sin generally starts long before anybody ever takes an action. When a, when a man leaves his wife or a woman leaves her husband, it doesn't happen like that. There's, a, there's the mind playing tricks on you long before, telling you that the grass is greener on the other side, that you deserve better. Listen, sin, when it happens, it never happens instantaneously. There's always a backstory. And so you have a suggestion. Then you have a desire. You begin to think about it and crave it. And then you have an intent. You begin to want it and to plan out how you're going to do it. And then you have an action. When lust hath conceived. You have the actual action of sin. Now you might think, that's it. We're talking about sin. That's the end of it. But that's not the end of it. That's not the end of sin when you've actually committed sin it says that lust, who hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, what is death? We were talking with the students last week. We were doing missions trip training. A week from yesterday, we're, we're leaving and we're going to New York City. And we're going to spend hours every day in the subways and in parks and in, on the streets. We're going to be giving people the gospel. Seeing people saved in New York City. Last year, we gave out between 10 and 12,000 tracts in New York City, just our Bible Institute. And we were talking about what does separation mean? Because people ask you those questions. What does sin when it's finished bringing forth death? What do you mean? What is, what is separation? Well, as a believer, James was writing to believers here. What does that mean? What is the theology behind this? Does it mean that all of a sudden we're going we're gonna to go to hell? Well, no. No, if you're saved, if you're a believer, you're just as sure to be in heaven as if I was standing there right now. So what is death? Does that mean God snatches you up out of here prematurely? Maybe, maybe not. But what it means is there's a, there's a division, there's a separation. You see, death physically is when our soul leaves our body. There's a separation there. Death spiritually is when we become divided and separated from God. Sin separates you from God. The Bible says that if a man regard iniquity in his heart, God won't hear him. Regard means to give place, to make a room for. I was, I was, in, I was in college and we were on extension ministry. I went to Maranatha. We were on extension ministry and that's one of the things I... I liked about Maranatha is we could go off to different churches. And I was, uh, I worked with the youth at a church, First Baptist Church in Wanakee, which is, it's a bedroom community in Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, and while I was there, it was an hour and five minutes, no matter how quickly you drove, it was an hour and five minutes from camp. Sometimes it felt, I mean, from, from college, excuse me, sometimes it felt like forever. And uh, so we didn't go back to college, to the dorms in between. We normally stayed at somebody's house, right? They would have us over for lunch or we would stay at the church or whatever. And you know the interesting thing? What does somebody say when they invite you over to their house? What's the first thing they tell you when you come in the door? 
make yourself at home. That's what they always say. It doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. When somebody invites you to their house and you come in, they always say, make yourself at home. And you know what the funny thing is? Nobody means that. <laughs> Nobody does. I mean, can you imagine if you told somebody, somebody came over to your home for a meal and you said, make yourself at home, and they actually did? I mean, you imagine they're, they're in the bathroom brushing their teeth with your toothbrush. That's gross, right? Well, you imagine they've, they've kicked their shoes off in the floor of your bedroom and they've laid up on your bed. Nobody means make themselves at home. But unfortunately, sometimes we're supposed to be the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 says that we're supposed to be the temple of God. But sometimes we don't allow God to make himself at home in our lives. You see, when we would go over people's house, they would say, make yourself at home. But what they really meant was, we want you to be comfortable in the couch, on the couch or in the dining room or, or really in the public areas of our house. And sometimes, guys, we've done the same thing with God. We say, God, we want you to be a big part of the public parts of our life. God, we want all of our friends and our family, even our co-workers, we want them to know that we're believers. We may invite them to Easter service. We may have them uh, say, hey, I want to invite you to our church. I want to give you the gospel. But folks, let me ask you this question. Sin is a cycle that traps us. Does God have your whole life? I mean, does he have every aspect of it? Have you told God, God, make yourself at home and really meant it? Because I can promise you this, folks. You tell God to make himself at home in your life and there will begin to be things that he cleans out. My dad passed away in 2012, May the 10th, 2012. I was 26 or 27 years old. I miss my dad dearly, but when my dad passed away, he worked, he did side work. He, he worked for the power company, but he did side work. We did vinyl siding and ceramic tile and all that stuff for a long time. And uh, we would do that stuff on the side. And he had a lot of stuff. And he would keep stuff left over from jobs because in his mind, he would do a job for somebody in our church or somebody that he knew. And he would say, you know what, if, if they ever, you know, have a, a storm come through and a, a limb comes through the roof, he said, I'll have that. I can just go fix it for him. You know, so we kept all kinds of stuff. That wasn't a hoarder. It wasn't crazy. But there was a lot of stuff in the garage. You'd be surprised how much stuff you can fit in a two and a half car garage. And so when my dad passed away, the job fell to me to begin to, to clean some stuff out to begin to clean up stuff. My dad had cancer and in the last, uh, he had some pro a few projects at church he was working on and, and uh, he began to, to uh, not have the energy to do them. And in the last few weeks, months, even years or so of his life, he would, he would go out to the garage and he would work for, for 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes on something. He would have to go back in the house and lay down. Now he would come to church and put on a good front and make everybody think everything was fine, but he just didn't have the energy. And so the last several uh, months or year of his life, he, if he was working on something, he said, well, I'm going to come right back to this. And it just kind of stayed there. The table saw was out and the chop saws were out and the power, you know, all the. And so I began to to clean. And when that fell on me, there began to be things that I said, we don't need that anymore. We can clean it out. And listen, in your life, if you allow God to really be the Lord of your life, there will be some things that he cleans out. 
Sin is a, is a cycle that traps us. It starts with a suggestion and leads to a desire. The desire then leads to an intent. The intent leads to an action. And then the action leads to a suggestion. A memory, excuse me, a memory. You know, you find a, sin is not a, a course that stops at a finish line. It's a, it's a downward spiral. And the suggestion leads to a desire and the desire to an intent and the intent to an action. The action to a memory and the memory to a suggestion. Until you've gone down the cycle again farther than you ever wanted to go. There's a cycle that ensnares us. A couple things I want you to know about the cycle as we uh, hit the last few points here in this, this part. It's a common struggle. Listen, folks, don't think that if you're dealing with something, that it's something completely out of the blue that nobody's ever dealt with. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common, is normal, is standard to man. Okay, we, we all deal with things. Sometimes uh, in churches, we feel like we have to, to hide things and put things under the rug because nobody can know about them because I'm supposed to be a Christian and I'm supposed to not be able to struggle. I'm supposed to not struggle with anything. But you know what? It's, a, it's a, a common struggle. We all get trapped in sin that we have to, we have to say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, with the Lord's help, I've got to pull out of here. I, I grew up at, at the beach. Where I grew up, we were uh, about 24 or 5 minutes from my driveway to my feet on the sand at Virginia Beach. That's about how far it was. And I was at the beach all the time. And uh, if you've ever been in the ocean and seen a rip current. Now I can see what they look like. And even from the beach, you can see a rip current if you know what you're looking for. And there'll be a place where all the waves are coming in and then there'll be no waves down like a certain path. And I've seen people get caught in the rip current. Someone has to, to help them out. Often we get caught in this cycle of sin. Sometimes we have to be honest enough with somebody else to say, you've got to help me out. I'm struggling to get out of this all by myself. It's a common struggle. But you know what? Sometimes it's a continual struggle. Wouldn't it be great if we got saved and we were just done with sin? We just didn't have to worry about it anymore. We said, God, I'm giving this to you. Never have to deal with it again. Wouldn't that be great? But you know what? That's not reality. Even the apostle Paul dealt with ongoing sin. He said in Romans chapter 7, that which I do, I allow not. But what I would, that do I not. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself involved in. And then he says, but the things that I really feel like God wants me to do and I want to do, I don't even have time for those things. Listen, if the Apostle Paul is dealing with ongoing, having victory over sin, don't you think you're going to deal with it too? It's a common struggle. It's a continual struggle. But listen, it's a character building struggle. Did you know that? Being able to work through sin, being able to work through some things that might attempt to ensnare us, that builds character. It makes us better. In the beginning part of this passage, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. The word tried there, it means, um, it means to be proven. Like if something were tried to be the real McCoy, you know, have you ever, have you ever pawned jewelry? We had a, for some reason we got married, we had a bunch of jewelry that 
people had given my wife, and she said, this does not mean anything to me. I'm of this. And so we, for, for, I've only done it one time, and, you know, I don't know if I'll do, do it again. But I took some jewelry to a, a, a pawn shop where they were going to pawn it. And you know what they do to it? It's really interesting. They will take, like, for example, a, a ring, and they'll, they'll take some, a little bit of some solution, and they'll, and they'll pick at the inside of that ring to see if it's real, to see how it reacts. You know what they're doing? They're testing it to make sure that it's the real McCoy, that it's the real deal. And you know what? The Bible says here, if we endure temptation to press through temptation, it's trying us, it's testing us, it's making us the real deal, the real McCoy. When we endure temptation, we will receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I wanted us to really grasp, understand the cycle of sin, the cycle that ensnares us. Real quickly, let me give you just a couple other points in regards to it. There are consequences that reach beyond us. You know, my dad used to say, uh, I, I talk about my dad a lot. I miss my dad. My dad was a good man and he was a great dad. And, uh, my dad used to say to me as a young man, I can remember it frequently. I would get in trouble and uh, I would, I told you already I was mischievous. I've, I've, I'm beginning to air all my secrets out to you. I was, I, I got in trouble a few times as a young man. And uh, my dad would say this to me. He would say, son, you know, you do that. I said, yes, sir. You know, yeah, I just was, I wasn't thinking my friends and, and he'd say, all right, son. And he would go ahead and lay out what the consequences for that would be. And in my mind as a young man, the consequences were always way past what I thought my action was. I did not think what I did was that big of a deal. And for the consequences for that, I thought, whoa, man. And so we would begin this negotiation, right? I never negotiated anywhere. I never got anywhere with it. And my dad would say this to me, son. And I mean, I'm telling you, in my mind's eye, I can go right back there to it. My dad would say, son, you can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences. And you know what? When we sin, there are consequences for our actions. When we go against God's plan for our life, there are consequences for that. And listen, folks, you can choose your actions, but you don't get to choose your consequences. The Bible says lust, when it conceived, bringeth forth sin and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. It separates you from God. There is no relationship in a communal way, in a fellowship way with God. You can't choose your consequences. You know, I was talking recently with a pastor who is the head of RU program. And he told me this, he said, Jason, if the men that are in the recovery program could have seen the consequences to their actions, 90% of them would have never done it. They would have never gotten involved in that sin. You see, there are consequences that reach beyond us. You know, when we sin, it affects other people. We like to think that our sin just affects us, but the Bible says, uh, no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. Mom, Dad, you don't think your sin could affect your kids? Uh, kids, you don't think your sin could affect your parents? Uh, uh, husband, you don't think your sin will affect your wife? Wife, you don't think your sin 
will affect your husband. Listen, we can choose our actions, but we can't choose our consequences. And there are consequences to sin. You look at one that comes to mind. You look at Achan. Achan stole of the accursed thing. Who did it affect? It affected everybody. It literally, literally affected all of Israel. It affected his family. It affected his, his cattle. It affected uh, 36 men lost their lives when they went to go do battle at Ai. And God refused to bless them because of the accursed thing. It affected their families. And it said that all of Israel had sorrow of heart. Why? Why? Because Achan was hiding something. Your sin has consequences that, reaches far, that reach far beyond you. Real quick, there's a conclusion that condemns us. The Bible says quite clearly that the wages of sin is death. And if you're an unbeliever, understand that when you commit sin, a transgression of God's law, that causes you to have hell as your eternal destination. The Bible says we've all sinned. What about as a believer? Well, as a believer, we have the cross that resulted from it. We have a cycle of sin that can entrap us or ensnare us. Right? But then we have, we have consequences for that. But then the cross of Jesus Christ resulted in it. You know, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, God's desire was to give you a whole lot more than a home in heaven. I mean, you understand that, right? Salvation is not just about being able to go to heaven one day. I mean, we often talk about heaven uh, and do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And often in times of evangelism, we talk a lot about heaven. But listen, heaven is not the end of the picture. Heaven is not the only attraction at the show. There is something that Jesus does for you at salvation. He reconciles you into a relationship with him. You who were afar, who were an enemy of God, can now be the very son and daughter of Jesus Christ, of God the Father. You see, God wants you to walk with him. 